The path to success is rarely a straight line. And the path to success as a creative professional? That line tends to be especially squiggly. My name is Emmeline. I'm an independent recording artist, a singer-songwriter, a published author, and a lifelong creative. In my new series, Journey of an Artist, I talk to creatives from all walks of life about their passions, their paths, and the persistence they've employed to reach a point of professional and personal fulfillment. Throughout my journey, I've been blessed to interact with all kinds of artists, voice actors, poets, dancers, musicians, graphic designers, stylists, and more. In Journey of an Artist, we discuss the decisions they've made, the challenges they've faced, the obstacles they've overcome, and where they'd like their vision to take them next. We also reinforce the belief that with love, grit, perseverance, and an abundance of joy, anything is possible. You can live the life you want, the life that brings you the most joy, and my guests are living proof. This week, my guest is the entrepreneurial powerhouse Marina from The Piano Keys. A classically trained piano performance major, Marina now uses her education and abilities to teach other aspiring pianists how to play, how to practice, and how to find joy in becoming a pianist. She's here today to talk about how she started The Piano Keys, the courses she offers through her website, and her new book, Practice Makes Permanent, The Busy Pianist's Guide to Getting the Best Results in the Shortest Time. Welcome back to Journey of an Artist. My name is Emmeline. I'm your host, and I'm so excited for today's episode because I have with me Marina from the Piano Keys. How are you doing, my friend? Hi, I'm doing great. So happy to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. You just released a book. You have all of these awesome online courses, and I'm so excited to dig into all of it. Thank you. So, Marina, you've just become a published author. You're already a prolific piano player. You're all over YouTube, but but you've added a skill to your resume, which is you wrote a book called Practice Makes Permanent. Yeah, I think I warmed up to that by by making a mini book called um, Piano Chords for, for Everyone. And that was just kind of to teach people how to find triads on the piano. And I thought, you know, I really love to write and people are always asking me questions about practicing. How can I put all this in a book format and have it go out in the world and give people the skills to actually reach their goals. And I, that's what I did. It's wonderful. So the book is called Practice Makes Permanent. It is so accessible. Um, I had a blast listening to the audiobook, which you also recorded over the weekend. And there's just so much in there that addresses so many of the questions about how you play effectively, how do you start playing, how much time should you spend at the piano, which is a question I get a lot. Um, and you've been a pianist for a long time. So these are tried and true practice methods that you have used over time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what inspired you to help other people practice? That is a great question. I've always been someone who likes to help since childhood. I would be the the kid that whenever there was a new student in class, I would ask the teacher, hey, can I show them around? You know, that sort of thing. Um, And I think that playing music is such, it has added such a dimension to my life that if someone else wants to be able to do that for themselves and I have something that can help them on that path, I'm so happy to give them that. They're looking for it. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I love that you highlight that music has had, you know, emotional benefits for you, lifelong benefits for you that have nothing to do with music. You talk a lot in the book about how the goals that you inspire people to set or the ways that you advise people to sort of tackle their lifelong piano journey are things that are 
applicable not only to music, but to really anything in life that you want to do. You were a marathoner and you talk about how you broke down these steps to run the LA Marathon. You also talk about how you used it to write the book itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in piano? Because you're bringing to bear skills that you've learned as a professional musician. So I uh, have been playing piano my whole life. My mom says that I would come home from nursery school. We had a piano in the house for some reason. My mom's a violinist and I would pick out the songs. And so uh, of course (laughs) the adults around me said, hey, she can play, put this girl in piano lessons and make sure that she does the best that she can. Um, so that's just kind of how it started, but, but just to, to backtrack a little bit to what you were saying, I, I know from experience that the saying that goes, how you do anything is how you do everything Mm. is true. And that's one of the things I always keep in mind, whether I'm doing things for myself or teaching people to play piano, I always use analogies and I always bring in things that you already know how to do in another aspect of your life and how you can apply it to the piano. Um, I don't think that you can segment your life, you know, you learn who you are, you pick up these skills and you can run with it in life. That's so true. We call that connective teaching, that idea that you can take something you already know and you pull in so many examples in the book. You talk about playing sports, you talk about, you know, doing your homework, you talk about being older and, you know, training your children or training your dog, all of those things and how each one of those can be broken down into similar steps. Yeah, it, it, often we look at a goal and it looks like this giant thing, right? Um, but if we look at, let's say it is a giant thing, that giant thing has components. And if you can break it down into, like I say, bite-sized pieces, you know, there's that really weird saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, which I don't know why you'd want to eat an elephant, but still, you know, the I guess the lesson applies, just take whatever you can in that moment. I saw a graphic that I included in the book of of two, you know, cartoon men trying to climb a ladder. And the first ladder had very short rungs, so you can just boop, 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 you know, small mm-hmm. steps. And the other one had really long runs, and you couldn't even, you couldn't reach the first one. So, I, and people always get surprised when I say, when you sit down to practice, mm-hmm do the minimum possible like don't take this giant thing that you're gonna conquer in one practice session this is what leads to burnout Mm. yeah and you talk multiple times over the course of the book about piano as a lifelong endeavor about how learning to play a musical instrument is a lifelong thing and i you know one of the things that is really big right now in the field of musical education which is where i spend a lot of my time is this concept of engagement right like how do you keep people engaged how do you keep people entertained that's a big question but Mm -hmm. what you talk about is sort of the opposite of that which is how do I look at music as a journey that I'm going to take for my whole life how do I spend time with music in a way that creates longevity yeah um unfortunately there's this proliferation of people I I'm hoping they have good intentions I'll say that they have good intentions uh, although I have spoken with a couple that say, listen, uh, they're 
these people are older, they're not going to get good anyway. You know, this is just really pessimistic outlook. But anyway, my point is saying like, hey, you know, in, in this one course, you will learn everything you need to know about piano. Well, I've been playing my whole life and I don't know everything I need to know about piano. How are you going to tell me I can do it in a book? I, I'm looking at a book right now. It says play piano today. Whenever I'm at thrift stores, if I find these books, I always get them because I like to flip through. And uh -huh. yeah, you know, the information is, is good. There's the same information everywhere, but it doesn't really tell you how do you incorporate this into your life. I can show you what a C chord is. You can play a C chord. Then what? <laughs> what are you going to do with that information, right? So there's like information and there's education. And yes, there are people, I've met a few, who just want to play one song. I just want to play Happy Birthday. For you, it will probably not be a lifelong endeavor, but you're still going to have to practice that song if you ever want to play it again. You, you can't, it's not a one and done. It's not, it's not like I can do, you know, a marathon today and never run again and be able to do another marathon. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I have to keep running. Mm -hmm. Right. So so for me, one of my big um, the flag that I wave is this is not easy. It's not you. You're not too old. You're not lacking talent. You don't have the right information, which is this takes work and it takes consistent effort. Yeah, I think it's so important to send that message because like you said, right, how you do anything is how you do everything. How you approach anything can be how you approach everything. And when we approach with that mindset of this is going to take work, it's not going to be easy and that's okay. It doesn't mean you're bad at it if it takes work. I think that's such an important mentality and one that I see so often us starting to lose. Is that sort of a trend that prompted you to address that issue? Yeah, I mean, this is, I've noticed in myself too, I, I, I used to be such a reader, I could read books for hours on end. Uh, but since I started using my, <laughs> my smartphone, I noticed even when I'm reading a book, I need to look away every, every few seconds, hmm. you know, and I know how to focus. It's not that it's just we've become so used to happening now 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 so we we see someone uh I, I always say this and i will not say who it is um in 15 minutes i will teach you everything you need to know about jazz piano no you will not you will not <laughs> okay you will not um but but we're used to this kind of messaging everybody wants to get the clicks you know mm -hmm. the and your thumbnail on on youtube and your title is everything so if i were to make a title saying i'll teach you a little bit about jazz we'll start with seven chords seventh chords who's gonna click on it when right next to it's got this guy going you know and going, <laughs> 15 minutes i'll you know you know what i mean so we've just become to this instant we've come, we become used to this instant gratification you know i can put in an order all my food will be delivered to me these things are great, but when it comes to the learning process, we're still human. And, you know, I say in the book, if even if you have three simple steps, uh, you will not be swinging golf club half as well as Tiger Woods because he was practicing since he was like two years old or something. Right. Yeah. So so we look at these results. We look at the results and we don't know what it took to get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this has permeated all of our subconsciousness, subconscious, I don't know, subconscious, subconscious side. I don't our know how collective to say that subconscious. Has been Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Our collective subconscious. Uh, and even if we know intellectually that's not true, a part of us still kind of expects that to happen. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately.
Yeah, and I think that that is such a detrimental mentality to have when you're looking at a lifelong endeavor. Because the truth is, you don't want it to be over in 15 minutes. Like, I haven't met anybody who thought about a really good thing and then thought to themselves, oh, but I hope it's done in 15 minutes. <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, it's imagine going right to. So I recently went to Coney Island. Ah, I love Coney Island. Shout out to Coney Island. And they <laughs> had this ice cream shop. And I'm dairy free, right? I have a dairy allergy, which, you know, everybody always goes, oh, no, it's not terrible. But there are moments like when you're in an ice cream shop, where you're like, I just wish I could have ice cream. And they had dairy free ice cream and a dairy free waffle and they put it together. And it was like the greatest thing I'd ever eaten. It was so delicious, which is why I'm still thinking about it weeks later. Um, (laughs) They had like doused it in strawberry sauce. But never, never during the course of eating it did I think, God, I wish this would be over in 15 minutes. Yes. Right. Isn't it funny? And yet we want to be, okay, we want to be um, fit right now. You know, we, we want to be play, playing piano right now. Like, but I, I don't know if you're familiar with the philosopher Alan Watts. Mm-hmm. He um, talks a little bit about music and I'm going to butcher, you know, I, this is not a quote, but he says something like if music were about getting it over, you know, about speed, uh, whoever got to the end of a song would win. <laughs> like that's oh, not the point. I love that. The point is to experience it. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, and so sometimes I'll ask my students, um, you know, if you could play anything you wanted to right now, how would it feel? Oh, it'd be fantastic. I said, well, that's great. There's not a person in the world who can play anything they want right now. Maybe you're a great pop player, but you don't know class. You, you're you don't have the skills for classical. You're classical, as you and I know, classical. You've never been taught how to play jazz, or even if you're good at everything, you might come upon a piece that's so technically challenging. You have to practice it. So just get it out of your mind that you're going to be able to play anything whenever you want. Now, with that out of the picture, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, and I. But I think one thing that's really important to highlight is that playing most of what you want is what they're talking about or playing a significant chunk of repertoire. They're not really talking about playing anything that you want, but we live in a society that is sort of inundated with this absolute rhetoric of like, no, learn everything in 15 minutes or know everything about the piano or be able to play anything you want. And that doesn't really serve the subject because there's so much nuance to piano. Like, I, we talk a lot, I'm a theory major, right? We talk a lot about theory in my piano studio. And, you know, initially students are like, oh, I hate theory. <laughs> like, why do we have to talk about theory? I hate scales. And we're going to get, we're going to come back to scales because you have this Not Your Mama Scales course. So I'm interested. We can powwow about scales. But we always reach a point where they're learning a classical piece or they're learning a pop piece. And they look down at their hand and they're like, oh, my God, this is a five finger pattern. Or they're like, this is the scale pattern. Or they realize that they've been able to figure out by ear this piece that they were listening to because they knew their scales. And that light bulb moment where they realize that the thing about theory is not that it's rote memorization. The thing about theory is that you're getting the keys to the musical kingdom. Somebody is saying to you, this is how it works. And if you can internalize how it works, then then you can start to play more and more of what you want because you understand how it works. And that's sort of what I hear you saying and what you talk a lot about in the book is learning how practicing works so that you can get the results you want. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, you must be an amazing teacher because I grew up having to take a theory class every week and a piano lesson and never did the two meet. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, and so in my mind, theory was theory was this thing that you did. I don't know why, but you did it because you had to. And then <laughs> and then there was playing the piano and it wasn't until I started to really study jazz, even in, as an undergrad, you know, I would take my theory classes and I'm like, okay, German six, interesting, but this doesn't really help me, you know, become a better pianist. It wasn't until I started learning jazz and I thought, oh, because jazz and blues, you know, those, those pianists really use theory, you know, you have to, you, this isn't a reading uh, kind of a performing art. It's it's completely different than playing classical music. Um, so I give you props because you must be a great teacher. And because obviously your your teachers are, I mean, your students are putting the pieces together. Well, but it's, it's a lot of what you do, right? So Marina comes from the Piano Keys. You have this fantastic YouTube channel called the Piano Keys where you have all these tutorials, you break down all of these songs. And I think that's that's what I've always done with my students. We sit down at the very first lesson and at the end of the lesson I say name me a song any song that you like and usually it's a song on the radio which makes it easier for me because as you know pop music is limited in the chord structures that it uses but sometimes it's a classical song and then I show them what it is like I play it for them or I figure it out slowly by ear within like five or six minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I play it for them at the end of those five or six minutes. And I'm like, if you pay attention in theory, you can do that. Yeah. Because uh, that's what it is. And I think when you know, you talk about this in the book, when you know your why, it becomes easier. If you teach the why of theory first, I have found that students are much more amenable to learning it, even if they groan, even if they complain about the theory test, because they understand that it's going to give them access to this thing that they want. I love that you do that at the first lesson that because then the question has already been answered. Why are we doing this? Because of that, <laughs> that thing that I showed you. Um, I, I do the same with scales uh, with my mm. students when we're studying or arpeggios and I'll say, hey, you know that that thing that you're struggling with is just part of a C major scale. You know how to play C major scale. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, so I think what you and I are both doing is just kind of chunking information together in a way that makes sense. Whereas when I was growing up, I wasn't taught to really practice. Hmm. Um, it just it came easy for me for some reason. And if I just spent enough time at the piano, it would work out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, where was I going with this? Oh, and so I didn't learn to like find sections that are the same or, you know, say, oh, that's just a C major triad. You know, I would just go, oh, it's C, E, G. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I think because of that, I, I teach in a very different way. And it's, it sounds like that's what you're doing, too. You're like aggregating information saying this is what you're doing. This is how it works rather than just like a bunch of like random notes and things, you know that you have to learn. Well, I think the thing about being a professional musician is it sounds like both of us have m at multiple points in our lives been thrown into situations where you have to learn a lot of music really fast. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's hard and scary. And coming from a classical background, I like the sheet music. I like the comfort of the sheet music being there. I like the comfort of understanding it. But reading each individual note takes forever. 
And if you don't look for patterns, if you don't, you talk about chunking information in the book, if you're not observing which notes you're using and how they might go together and making those connections in your head, it makes it a lot harder for that information to stick. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So if you have to sit down and learn 40 pages of music, but you don't know how to break down what you're seeing or how to incorporate it in a way that's going to make sense and make it stick, you're going to spend a lot of time at the piano. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely true. And I think um, pro- that's probably why I started making courses because mm-hmm. I saw that people just didn't understand, like, how does, let's say, sheet music, how do you get a piece of sheet music and at the end of the day, have it make music on the piano, if you're playing piano? Like, how, what's that process? It seemed to be this mysterious, you know, and, and, I, and I watched some tutorials and some courses and stuff and the person would be showing something legit sometimes not like really a bad technique and i thought why are you doing this you know anyway so they would they would show this legit piece of information and then they wouldn't say how do you practice it Mm. right so in all my courses i give you information and then we practice it like i literally make the videos like okay now we're going to do this exercise at 80 beats per minute here's the metronome watch me let's do it together right so it's it's like you and I know from the inside what the process is. And sometimes sometimes I think people forget, like someone who's coming to it brand new, it's mysterious. How do you do that? How do you practice that? Right? Um, so, well, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Because, yeah, when you're learning a lot of music, there is a process. And I think that's what I've been trying to do for the last few years is just kind of uncover the process. And for me, it's been really enlightening because um, – having done it for so long it just like comes naturally right we Mm -hmm. don't really think about it and for me to have to figure out how to explain it to other people that i'll never meet is very different from a one-on-one lesson where they ask you questions and you these people i will never meet Mm -hmm. in person so how would i explain something to someone where they're not able to interact with me has really helped me to clarify my thinking and made me a better pianist Yeah, well, I had the thought over and over and over while reading Practice Makes Permanent that you've managed to, in this very short, manageable book, what you've done is you've managed to write down in very succinct, clear language all of the things that we think as pianists all the time but don't articulate. Thank you. <laughs> that was that was my intention. Yeah, you've done a really nice job. So for anybody who's thinking about starting piano, first of all, your courses are a great place to start. You have them all at thepianokeys.com, and you have this great book, Practice Makes Permanent, that I would suggest people read beforehand. Is that count? Is that controversial to say? No, I, I think the more information that you have, the better armed you are to do what you need to do. For me, time is the most important thing in the world, right? Time. I mean, obviously you want to have good health, but time, you never get it back, right? So, oh, it makes, can I just say something that I think is so silly? And I put this in the book. So many people have come to me. These are, these are uh, parents and say, my child is just learning how to play piano. How much do you charge? And I tell them my rate and they say, oh no, that's too much. I'll go start with another teacher. And when he's ready, when she's ready, we'll come to you. And I say, I'm never going to see you again. Uh, not because if a teacher charges less, they're n- not good. But the beginning is everything. And you people think, oh, you know, I start with a teacher who can teach beginners and may not be a good 
a player, you know, but they'll t teach them basics. The basics are everything, everything. So, so going into it, not only are you saving time by getting good information right from the start, but you're also giving yourself like the right soil to grow from, right? You you might never know what your potential could have been because you didn't start the right way. Well, and if you start with those connective ideas and you start with those bite-sized goals in mind, you're starting with a mentality that is going to serve you throughout your studies. Like, you know, I'm sure both of us have had people reach out and say, oh, my, you know, my child or I have been taking piano for five years and we've sort of reached the limit of what this teacher can do or we're ready to switch or we're just looking for something a little bit different. And what I get in those moments often is a student that hasn't had a lot of the basics. And man, there is nothing more frustrating for a student who can already play Mozart and Beethoven than going back and learning some five finger patterns or going back and learning scales or understanding yeah. like the three different kinds of minor and why they're important. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm actually, uh, this is something I say to people who come to me now They say, oh, I've taken lessons before. I say, all right, uh, I'll ask you some questions, you know, about theory or have you play something? And most of the time I say, look, I know exactly what you said. I know you've been playing Mozart, but guess what? If you really want to study with me, we got to go back to like Alfred level one. Are you willing to do that? And most of the time they'll say yes. And if they say no, well, you know, farewell. Like, I can't do anything for you at this point, mm. you know? How long did it sad. take you to set that boundary? How long did it take you to say, no, you know what? This is the process. This is the process I know works. So I'm going to stand up for the process, even if it means watching people walk out the door. That's such a great question. It actually wasn't until just a few years ago. Um, for, for a couple of reasons. One of them is I do want to help people. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I can work around them. And I, and I realized that no, I actually can't. There, there is a process to this. I can't as much as I want to, I can't bypass it. But also, um, you know, as musicians, we make our living doing all different kinds of things. And if, at least this was my thinking at the time, if I turned away everyone that didn't exactly fit my criteria, that was going to affect my income, right? Mm -hmm. So and I'm not saying that I've just taken students for, for money. That That's not my motivating factor, but it was part of the picture. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I realized that while money is very important, obviously we all know this, it can't be the deciding factor in anything. It just can't. Hmm. That's a really important message for, I think, all of the artists who are listening. Because, you know, this wonderful show that we have because of all of these fabulous listeners is a show that was created to kind of illuminate that. Because like you said, we know a lot of Tiger Woods. And we know a lot of people who are like, I've been thinking about playing golf. But you don't know a lot of people in the middle of it. And you don't see the process from being that person who's like, I'm thinking about playing golf to Tiger Woods. But there are a lot of steps in between and it's messy and it's winding and it's complicated. But we don't see a lot of that. And I think mm -hmm. it's such an important message to artists who are listening to this to say money can't always be your deciding factor. And that's okay. 
it is okay to set boundaries for yourself, to recognize that you want to create, to recognize that there are things that you would like to do. And it sounds like you've managed to find a really great way to sort of curate that process for yourself because you, you know, you will take people back to the beginning if they agree to go back with you. But you also have these resources online that allow people to go back for themselves. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about Not Your Mama Scales. Um, okay, so like all my courses, it arose from questions that I was getting on my channel. Like, how should I practice? How many, how many minutes a day should I practice scales? Okay, as an educator, you understand why that question is meaningless, right? Okay, what scales are you practicing? What do you mean by the word practice? How, you know, in what format are these? Like, there's so many variables. I cannot answer your question, right? So I thought, okay, here's another opportunity <laughs> to help people. And uh, I'm sure you were probably taught the same way I was, which is playing a scale, going up four octaves, down four octaves. You might do a split in the middle, you know, you do the, the majors, the minors, which are great if you have a teacher that is watching your technique, you know, that sort of thing. But for the average person, this is meaningless practice. It doesn't really translate to the songs that they want to play. Why? Because almost never will you see a C major scale in two octaves going up and going down in a piece. Even in um, like Mozart's, let's see, let's let me turn on my keyboard. Hey, Marina, yeah. play for us. So if we do this, right? Yeah. At some point it goes. But even those scales are not using the same fingering as the scales that you practice because their one is leading into the other, right? So how should the average person who's not trying to be a you know like you and i a, a professional musician how should they practice scales that will actually impact their ability to play well you practice scale fragments you know different patterns of scales um different fingering uh you might play for i don't know you might have done this maybe because you um, are not just a classical uh, player but you would practice like a c major scale then you would start it on a d Playing the modes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how often do people practice scales using different fingerings or even the same fingering? I should have probably uh, hooked up my camera, but that's okay. So, so, so I thought, okay, let's make a scale course that will actually impact. If you're going to spend time doing scales, make it worth it, right? Mm -hmm. So again, I made these videos where I practice with you. You see the overheads. I talk through them like you would talk to a student during a lesson. And mm -hmm. I say, hey, by the way, remember, you know, drop your shoulders. Are you breathing? Use your wrist. You might use your wrist, uh, you know, on every single note, or you might group notes and use, a, you know, a curved wrist, like for five notes, you know, this sort of thing. So that they're getting the benefit of a professional musician's education without the expectation of delivering a professional level performance. Basically, I feel like if you're going to spend your time practicing, you deserve it. You deserve to have the best information. I will never write off someone as, as oh, they're just doing it for fun. Like I say in the book, we all do it for fun. Some of us have so much fun, we do it for life, right? Yeah, absolutely. We all do it for fun. Now, that being stated, you deserve the best level of education that you can get. I don't care how old you are. 
I, I love that you mentioned age a lot in the book. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, when you started the Piano Keys as the YouTube channel, and when you started to put out these tutorials, and when you started teaching people Rondo Alaterco, which is a piece that you talk about a lot in the book as well, but you have these great tutorials online. When you started doing all of this, were most of the comments you were getting from people who were older who were looking to start piano for the first time? Or what is the age range? Yeah, um, it's so funny you ask that because whenever I get an email, the first line or two will be, I am X numbers of years old. Wow. As though that is the most important factor, right? And and you'll love this one. Sometimes I'll get emails from people in their 20s saying, am I too old to start? And I'm like, no, uh, you know, I'm 74. It's not too late. I, I say in some of my tutorials, usually when someone makes a grand promise to you, like, you know, learn piano in 30 days or whatever, and you don't achieve that goal because nobody can, you turn it back on yourself and you say, oh, I'm too old or I don't have enough talent, right? And, and my mission in life is, is to point out to you that it is not the case. <laughs> anyone with the, the right pro the proper tools and the right amount of work consistent effort can reach their goals now if you are 95 and you want to do I don't know a solo Carnegie Hall concert guess what you can because most people don't know that Carnegie Hall can be rented out <laughs> you rent it out and you are now a Carnegie Hall uh, performing artist <laughs> right you can reach your goals. You can sit up there and do. Guess what? I played. I paid for this time in Carnegie Hall. It's my concert. Yeah, you can reach your goals. But but if you want to be, you know, like an actual, you know, virtuoso pianist, as an older person, I think you can if you're willing to put in as much time as the virtuoso virtuoso pianists have to do, right? And most people don't want to do that, and I don't blame them. I don't want to do that. Well, I think, and I think one of the things that you talk about in the book that you talk about here and that you talk about in your videos that I think is really important for our listeners to hear again and again and again, is there is a difference between being a virtuoso piano player and a functional good piano player. You know, mm -hmm. like there is a difference between being functional and being productive and being able to play music that brings people joy. Yeah. And being the best pianist to ever grace Carnegie Hall stage. And I don't think you have to be the latter to be the former. Like people of all levels and people of all skill sets and people of all time commitments can use music to bring joy, can mm -hmm. use music to bring joy to themselves, can play yep. functionally, can pick up pieces they've never seen before and play those with some degree of proficiency. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody who picks up a golf club is going to be Tiger Woods. And if you want to put in the hours to do that, that's awesome. Power to you. But if you want to play a really great golf game and then go home and spend some time with your dog and watch, you know, some Friday Night Lights, because that's what I'm binging right now. If, <laughs> like, if you want to do that, if you want to have a well-rounded life, it is possible to still be a good piano player and do those things, to still be a functional, proficient piano player and have yeah. a life. You can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you, if these people actually, I'm not saying want this, but if they actually knew what it takes to be a concert pianist performing around the world, they wouldn't want that life. 
I don't want that life either. Um, If you want to play music, there's a reason for that. It's because you love it so much that you want to create it with your own body. So go with that. Don't worry about reaching some outside metric. You know, if you're enjoying it, if you enjoy playing it, that's great. You want to get better? I'm here to help you or another good teacher is there to help you. But, But you don't have to meet anybody's standards but your own. Yeah, one of the things that you said in the book that literally made me pause and like do a little happy dance on my couch is that you don't need a timer to practice well. Because that, I don't know about you, but that's the number one question I get is how much time do I have to spend at the piano? And I'm like, if you sit down at the piano with a timer, you are already not excited to be there. Yep, very good. And the whole time you're there, you're looking at the timer thinking, how much longer? How much, like, how much time do I have left? And the truth is that if you sat down, you ideally sat down because you liked to play. Don't turn it into a chore for yourself. And like mm-hmm. you said, sometimes you can accomplish your practice goal with a very short amount of time. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But why would you deny yourself the joy of going through that process just so that you can fulfill a time requirement? Yeah, and I think this goes back to something you said earlier about eating, eating your ice cream, your dairy-free <laughs> ice cream with the waffle, which sounds really good, actually, oh God, so um, good. is that you're enjoying the process. You would not get that ice cream and say, all right, I'm going to eat this for 20 minutes. <sighs> right? <laughs> it doesn't make I any mean, sense. I mean, God, I hope not. <laughs> Aside from, like, the time that my mom, shout out to my mom who listens to these podcasts, she used to steam Brussels sprouts for us. And I think that was the only food where I was like, I will eat this for five minutes and then I will have eaten all that I need to eat. And she will know that I love her and I love her efforts. Um, She makes amazing lasagna. So sometimes it was like we would spend five minutes with the Brussels sprouts and then we just demolish the lasagna. But, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to spend exactly. You don't want a time limit on the things you enjoy. Yeah, and that just backs up your point. You didn't like the Brussels sprouts, and that's why you put a time limit. So if you want to learn, you're an adult. Nobody's forcing you, right? If you want to play piano, why would you treat it as Brussels sprouts? I Actually, <laughs> I like Brussels sprouts, but um, if they're cooked well. But yeah, it doesn't. it makes no sense at all to ask this question. So, so we've tackled some of the ineffective questions that you get, like, am I too old? No is obviously the answer to that. How much time? as much as it takes, right? As much as it takes to accomplish your goal for that day. And you talk or in as detail. Much as you have. Yeah, you talk in detail in the book about looking at each day individually, looking at each practice session individually, setting manageable goals and how it's good to set goals that you know you can accomplish. And I feel like that's another thing that translates so well to life. Is that something that you knew from the outset or is that something that you sort of taught yourself by trial and error? Something I definitely taught myself because I was I was taught as a child to bring home A plus or don't bring home grades, that, that sort of thing. Uh, if you're going to do a piano competition, you better win. That sort of, you know, uh, which is a very unhealthy way to live life. But it gave me the drive that has served me very well in life. So, the, you know, good and bad sides to everything. So it was definitely something I had to teach myself. Um, and it's, you know... Again, it translated into everything I did in life. Like if I wasn't going to be the best at something, I wasn't going to do it, which left me out of a lot of fun things. Like I can't play sports, mostly because I was never picked to play sports as a child. But but also like, you know, as a child, I would think, oh, I, I don't know how to dribble this basketball. I better stop. I better stick with something that I'm good at. Right. Which is really weird mindset. 
very unhealthy. So yeah, I've definitely had to unlearn a lot of things. So it sounds like one of the most important things for you in your own musical process and in your process is just being a human was learning and teaching yourself that it was okay to be mediocre at something, that it was okay to start at the beginning, that it was okay to not be good yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the end of all my videos, I say, keep practicing, have fun <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I had to tell myself a lot of times, hey, piano is fun. It, it didn't feel fun for me for a really mm. long time. It felt like something I had to do and I had to do it well. When was the uh, switch? I, I don't think it happened all at once. It just kind of, you know, as I got older and, and realized what kind of life I wanted to live, um, it was definitely as an adult. The majority of my life I, I spent feeling not good enough, which I know it's a very, very common way that people feel but especially in music I was never good enough there was always someone better you know I can always you know and I at a certain point I said why am I do why you know it has to do with self-love and acceptance you know th this sort of thing it's a process um and so so that's why I really try to imbue my my classes my lessons you know even the things that I name my my courses you know, I become a piano superhero not your mama's scales because it doesn't have to be so serious it's not life and death I always say no one's gonna die if you play a wrong note right but I was raised to believe that somebody would die <laughs> if I played a wrong note so so basically I try and take what I've learned and give it to other people yeah I think that's so beautiful and a couple things that you said that I really want to highlight because I know I know that there are people who are listening right now who are thinking the same thing, who are hearing you talk about that feeling of not being good enough or that feeling of like, oh, there's always going to be somebody better than me, so I might not, I might as well not try. Or that feeling of, oh my God, the world will end if I make a mistake. Like All of those are things that hinder progress because the only way you learn is to allow yourself to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But it is okay everywhere. Because if you've watched Marina's videos, if you've been to the Piano Keys YouTube channel, you know that Marina's a phenomenally accomplished pianist, right? So you hear somebody like that say, no, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. I think it's so important for us artists to realize that everybody has those thoughts. Mm -hmm. There's so yeah. much negative self-talk that goes into creation. And I'm not really sure, I mean, you, you and I could probably spend another hour unpacking where that comes from and socially where that message is and what do we do about that? But I think the most important takeaway that I hear you saying and that I really want to highlight for our listeners is we all live with that. So knowing that we all live with that, we have to acknowledge that truth and then let it go because it's not the truth. Yeah, I think part of it is just having compassion for yourself and for other people, especially now, you know, we're so set against others. You know, if you don't think exactly like I do, you're in this category and we don't seem to extend any sort of grace hmm. to others or to ourselves, you know, especially with all the stuff you see on social media, you see, again, you see the finished products and you think, oh, I'm not that good, you know, and there's a, a, from, there's a huge uptick in loneliness and suicidal tendency, you know, this sort of thing. And I think it is because we are so isolated from one another. Mm -hmm. And if we could just embrace the fact that we're all more alike than different, you know, and, and the one thing I always say to myself is at the end of my life, what what kind of life do I want to have lived? You know, do I want one where I'm always self-critical? No, I don't want to go back and regret. Like, oh, I should have 
I do now, right? I don't know if you've done this, but um, growing up, I had a real issue with like weight. You know, I wanted to be skinny and and I thought I was fat. And then looking at my pictures, I was a size two, but I never enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy being a size two because I was, my head wasn't right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically, I'm just saying like, enjoy where you are right now. <laughs> well, and and recognize that the truth you tell yourself becomes the truth, right? Because I'm sure people looked at plenty of pictures of Marina's size too and were like, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And look at you at any size and think, oh my God, she's so beautiful. That dialogue doesn't enter your head because what you've told yourself is, oh, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Like people, mm-hmm. you know, we, so often as musicians, we play a piece, hit a couple wrong notes and think, oh my God, I've bombed it. I'm never going to play <laughs> piano again. That was so bad. And I have this discussion with my students all the time where I have them count all the notes on a page and you want to talk about a tedious exercise. Like, <laughs> guys, guys. When they oh tell me goodness. when they tell me that they've hit too many wrong notes, I'm like, let's look at the actual let's look at the truth of this, which is that you hit three wrong notes in a four page piece. Let's count all of the notes on this page. Now let's multiply that by four because that's going to give us a basic idea of how many notes there are. And, you know, usually we come up with something crazy like 216 notes. Well, three or four wrong notes out of 216 is a teeny tiny fraction of the whole piece. (laughs) You know? That's a great way to think about it. But that, so yeah, three wrong notes is not going to bury you, first of all. And secondly, if you keep going, nobody notices that you made a mistake. You talk about this in the book. Keep going. Um. And the other thing is, it I think taking that raw evidence and saying to ourselves, okay, I was really upset about three or four notes out of 216 notes, which is nominal. If you had missed that much on a test, you still would have gotten 100. Yeah. And so we, it's so important when we play, when we talk to ourselves, you talk about talking to yourself the way you would talk to your best friend in the book that's something that you Mm -hmm. talk about in terms of practicing when we talk to ourselves it's so important that we take you know the actual factual evidence that we have and allow that to guide our speaking and our thinking rather than holding ourselves to this impossible standard yeah i i agree uh i don't know the stat but even with the best baseball players you know they don't hit the ball every time or i i I wish i had the stat on me but um but somehow as as musicians were expected to be to be perfect there was some famous pianist who got a lot of flack i think it was the last year i forget who it was it was a man because he forgot like he was playing and he had a memory lapse well, that's not allowed for a concert pianist. Why not? Why isn't that allowed? What's the problem? So we don't play music to get it right. We play and listen to music for the feelings, right? And your book is called Practice Makes Permanent, not Practice Makes Perfect. Yeah, what's such perfect? Such an important, exactly, exactly, which is such an important thing. I love it. I And you talk a little bit about um, the concept of feeling like you've arrived on the first page and what that means. I think so often we don't know what that means. Like we talk a lot about this. Um, I was a ballerina growing up and I've had dancers oh. on the show and we've talked about that struggle with weight. What is thin enough? What is good enough? You know, those are not quantifiable goals. Yeah. 
they're just sort of arbitrary ideals that we let sit out there and you know draw rain clouds over our heads all the time because we feel well, like the, they're unattainable it's this indefinite thing in the future it's always in the future right because as as an artist as a dancer you know when you walk off that stage you know the mistakes that you made <laughs> Right. Sometimes other people do, too, because they were glaring and sometimes they don't. But, you know, so it's always in some other or even mistakes. Oh, I could have taken more time for that arabesque or you know, whatever it was. I could have done better extension. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I could have played that, you know, thing faster. What perfect. Perfect is always in the future. It, you are never there. And I feel this this is a problem in life. We're, we're always thinking about some future self when we're going to be happy. I'll be happy when? No, yeah. be happy now, right? Right? Um, but it's, it's also because I always had heard practice makes perfect until I started uh, taking dance classes with a particular teacher, um, Denon Rawls in Southern California. And he was, he's a tap teacher. He taught me ballet and jazz. And the first time I heard him say, practice makes permanent, my ears perked up like, wait a minute, this sounds like the truth. Because practice makes perfect never sounded true to me. This does, you know, so I credit him wherever I can. He's the one that put this thought in my mind. I didn't come up with it. I love that. That's beautiful. And yes, I love that you talk about the future self and all the focus that we put on the future self. Because, you know, the thing that I always tell students and a thing that I think is really important for us to remember when we make music and when you say have fun is we gravitate to music not because it's perfect, but because it makes us feel something. And the truth is, if it was perfect, it probably wouldn't make you feel anything. Because what makes you feel something is the truth of one human being in a moment conveying themselves through music to another human being. And that's never going to be perfect. And that's, that's beautiful. But that's the part that we love the most. Because nobody, like every, you know, Ani DeFranco has a line in one of her songs that's everyone harbors a secret hatred for the prettiest girl in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's, true because you know perfect is you can't attain perfect and it's unrelatable nobody has ever sat back and been like i'm perfect yeah even pitchers who throw a perfect game no but yeah right when when um if you see like an athlete come off you know the field they do an after game like round like what did what happened right and it's always you're always trying to get better which is not contradictory to what you and i are saying wanting to improve is not the same as wanting to be perfect is just and maybe you don't want to improve maybe you're happy just playing you know with mistakes that's fine too but but if you want to improve it it doesn't mean that you're wanting to get perfect or that you're enough it's just the, the the human story of always expanding you know like like before roger bannister did the four minute mile it was considered impossible it was considered you will die right Mm -hmm. well now any high school athlete can run a four minute mile it's not a problem so as a even as a species you know we're always getting better right so it's okay to want to improve and still not arrive at perfect because that thing doesn't exist but you, but an important thing that happens in those huddles that you're talking about and an important thing that happens in those records is you celebrate the good stuff and then you talk about where you can improve. Because the truth is, no matter who you are, if you sat down at the piano to play, there's something you did right that day. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. something you did right yep. that day that you didn't do the day before. 
and, and yet people are so hesitant to point those things out mm -hmm. i don't know why i don't either we should all celebrate our wins more yeah <laughs> Marina and I are challenging all of the listeners here and now. Celebrate your wins more. Write them down. You have to buy practice makes permanent, and then you have to write it down in the book. Write down your wins. <laughs> That'd be part of your practice. Um, you do I talk about that. that, though. You talk about taking notes in practice sessions and how part of it is. Like, what, you, what did you accomplish? What did you do well? And then take your notes about what you need to do. Because, you know, those things coexist. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we are imperfect yeah. beings, but we are beings who are evolving. I agree. When I was taking pedagogy, I had to do a year of pedagogy study as an undergrad. Um, and we were watched while we were teaching our students, right? Um, mm -hmm. We were not we were not allowed to say that was good after a student played something. We had to be specific, like, oh, you know, you kept a steady beat. Your dynamics were very effective, that sort of thing. Um, and I, I feel that that hasn't really permeated into the culture. Like, oh, that was good or that was bad. This this is how we like to think, but the nuances are almost never addressed. But they matter. Yeah, I think they're everything. <laughs> they matter quite a bit. And you know, another thing, I, I heard an entire episode of Think on NPR about the importance of saying good work rather than good job, mm. because it's not a finite process. And it is a testament to the work you put in when you do something that is effective or when you do something that makes someone else feel something. That's a testament to the work, not just the innate talent, right? It gets it that, you know, sort of myth yeah. that you and I have been talking about that you're either talented or you're not. And it's just <laughs> a finite absolute and that's it. And good luck. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah. if people are sitting here thinking, gosh, Marina sounds like so much fun. I feel like I could learn so much from her and from her process. Where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, well, my website, thepianokeys.com or my YouTube channel, The Piano Keys. But um, I have a really great uh, private Facebook community mm. where we post videos, you know, of, of ourselves playing and people, you know, give us lots of accolades and we ask questions and, and I'm there all the time interacting. Um, so that's a good, good place to find me. <laughs> that's awesome. And so that's for those of us who are listening on the radio, that's thepianokeys.com, T-H-E-P-I-A-N-O, K-E-Y-S dot com, all one word. And for those of you who are listening on a podcast, your job is super easy. You just have to scroll up and click and it will be linked. The book is Practice Makes Permanent, The Busy Pianist's Guide to Getting the Best Results in the Shortest Time. And you can find all of Marina's courses like Not Your Mama Scales, Become a Piano Superhero, and more at thepianokeys.com. Marina, it's been so fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me today. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. You're so welcome. Um, it's always a blast. I can't wait to hear more about the progress people are making in your Facebook group. And I'm excited to see how many of our listeners decide to click those links and join you on the piano journey. Um, oh, okay. You, though, have one more little surprise for us before we close out today. Yeah, I'm going to play one of my pieces for you. It's a piano piece called Daisy, I Will Never Forget You. And it's going to air right here on Deep LM Radio. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you.
Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of an Artist, featuring Marina from The Piano Keys. To learn more about Marina and her courses, or to purchase her new book, Practice Makes Permanent, be sure to visit her website, thepianokeys.com. That's thepianokeys.com. For behind-the-scenes information and more about Journey of an Artist, you can follow me, Emmeline, on social media at at Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E music. Journey of an Artist airs Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio and is available as a podcast the very next day. My other show, Journey of a Song, airs Wednesday afternoons at noon Central on Deep Ellum Radio, and past episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you next week with brand new episodes. Until then, stay passionate.